Now, I was always, uh, I'm always trying to figure out what to uh, preach on, and in this particular case, this was a passage that I came across recently as I was just reading through my Bible. It's always fascinated me. I thought this was an interesting um, piece of scripture, and add to that, I just recently saw Avengers Infinity War in the theaters not too long ago, last week. And so tonight, I've entitled my sermon, let's see if I can pull this up, here it is, David's Avengers. David's Avengers, here we go. We've got some mighty men described here in the scriptures who did some pretty amazing things uh, that otherwise, if you were to you know, read about these things or hear about them in a movie, you'd think, oh, that can't be true. Because what happens in any superhero movie, any epic movie, there's always this hero who's just mowing down these guys you know, left and right. It seems like hundreds of them are coming at him at a time. And no matter what, the hero doesn't die. You know, The hero is the one who's killing all these different people. And you think, that's impossible. How do they even pull it off? Well, here, in this particular passage, we have men who are real, who are in history, who did just that. And so hence the title tonight, David's Avengers. So we have this list. And I don't know if you've ever read past this list before and just been fascinated by it, because uh, it takes a good bit of time, depending on what you're reading in 2 Samuel or if you're going to 1 Chronicles, it, it takes a little bit more time to describe these guys, uh, of all their amazing feats and everything they accomplished. And I thought it's worth uh, studying for us tonight. And I went into this really not sure where this text would lead. All I knew was it was fascinating. These guys seem cool. I want to study them. So we'll just, we'll just go with it, and we'll discover what we can as we go through this list together. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can look in that, or if you want to refer to some of the things I have up on the screen, um, I'm going to try and have a lot of the things uh, available to you to see. Let's just go through this list, though. As you're reading through uh, 2 Samuel chapter 23, you'll see that uh, there's this list of people that, that is given. And I'm just going to kind of cut to the names. I'm not going to read through, because some of them are described in more detail than others. We're just going to try and pick out these names that I've listed for you, and actually there are 37 total. So uh, this is an exercise in seeing how well I can pronounce things. Uh, if I mess it up, that's all right. Uh, it's a tough task up here. Uh, we have number one, Joshua Beshabeth, a Tachyamite. That's in verse 8. Then we have Eleazar, the son of Dodo. That's verses 9 and 10. Then we have Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herorite, in verses 11 and 12. Abishai, the brother of Joab. That's verses 18 through 19. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, verses 20 through 23. Asahel, the brother of Joab, verse 24. Elhanan, the son of Dodo, verse 24. Shammah of Herod, verse 25. Elika of Herod, verse 25. Helez, the Pelelite, verse 26. Ira, verse 26. Abiezer, verse 27. Mabunai, verse 27. Zalman, verse 28. Maharai, verse 28. Helib, then Ittai, verse 29, Benea, verse 30, Hidai, also verse 30, Albi Alban, verse 31, Asmaveth, verse 31 also, Eliaba, verse 32, then the, the sons of Jashin counted as one in this case, verse 32, Jonathan, verse 32, Shammah, the Haberite, or the Herorite, verse 33, Ahiam, the son of Sherar, verse 33. Eliphet, verse 34. 
then Eliam, Hezro, Parari, if I can just speed through them, Igal, Bani, Zelek, Nerari, Ira, Gerib, and finally Uriah the Hittite, verse 39. So you see you have 37 in all. That's our whole list. So 37 different men. And there's some things that we notice, as I was just trying to make sense of this list, before we even get to look at them in detail, um, a few observations. Number one, three of David's men are named Shammah. So you heard that name repeated a few times. Two of them are named Benaiah. Then third, some names are more familiar than others. So we have Uriah the Hittite, right? The last one named. Hopefully you know who that is. Uh, he was that individual who was killed by David, maybe indirectly, but still David was responsible for his death when he wanted to uh, marry Bathsheba, when he had slept with Bathsheba uh, without Uriah's knowledge. Uh, so he's familiar to us. Abishai and Asahel are also individuals that are described elsewhere in the scriptures. So um, Abishai, the last time I had a chance to preach, we talked about David and Shimei's encounter, where Shimei was throwing rocks at David as he was leaving the city, um, kind of running for his life as his son Absalom was taking over. And it was Abishai, his close guard, who was saying, come on, David, let's cut off this guy's head. You don't have to listen to him. You don't have to take this kind of abuse. That's the Abishai that's described here. Then Asahel is also somebody who's mentioned in the book of Samuel, where uh, there's this uh, fellow who's a really fast runner, and he is um, chasing Abner. And Abner is also a mighty warrior. He says, don't chase me. Uh, you're going to regret it. Uh, but Asiel doesn't give up, and he keeps running, and then all of a sudden Abner stops and throws the butt of his spear into him, and it goes right through him, and he's killed on the spot. So he's a fast runner, uh, but unfortunately that, that is his end. And so uh, those are some familiar names that we see in this list. Other observation that, that I noted as I read this list is that it's interesting that Joab is not included in this list. If you're familiar at all with the story of David, Joab is a very familiar figure, especially if you're thinking of David's mighty warriors. And yet in this list of 37, and even if you go into 1 Chronicles and see an even more extended list, Joab isn't there. And that's very interesting because he is somebody who has done a lot of uh, acts under David's uh, reign. So just those observations before we get into each of these in detail. Now, if you have your Bible open and you're looking over this list, there are also some questions that come about, two of which I'll, I'll sh uh, show you here on the screen. Number one, why are the sons of Jason counted as one person? Okay, if we were to go back, let me just jump back in my notes here. You saw on number 23, the sons of Jason are listed in here. But yet we know that there's only 37 intended to be listed because it says at the end of this passage, verse 39, there's 37 in all. So how do you figure that? Sons of Jason are being counted as uh, one person? Well, here's uh, two possible solutions to that. If you read the commentaries, they either say this might be uh, individuals who are grouped together because they're of the same family, and so for whatever reason they're be cons being considered as one, or maybe we should consider them as two of the thir 37 warriors, and then maybe combine the names of the next person. So let me show you what I mean by that. Thus, if you look at verses 32 and 33, um, maybe that should read, Jonathan, the son of Shammah the Herorite, as in the NIV. So if you have an NIV tonight, I I've been mostly quoting and will be quoting the ESV tonight, 
it lists those as two different people, Jonathan and Shammah, but the NIV considers them as one person, Jonathan the son of, and grammatically you could go either way on that. So I think maybe that might be the, the best way to understand this list. If we could do a revised list, that would make number 23 and 24 the sons of Jashin, and then 25 would be Jonathan the son of Shammah. Altogether, we have this list of 37 names, as the text tells us, okay? Second question we might have is why are these men called the 30 when there are 37? I just breezed through the names, but we're gonna read through these verses in a little bit more depth here, and you'll see often it says, this person was chief of the 30, or this person was of particular prominence among David's 30 warriors. Yet when we read this, it's clearly 37. And it's not like the author made a mistake and he said, oops, I didn't realize that. He says there are 37, and yet in a few verses before, saying there's 30. So how do you reconcile that? Again, two options. Number one, first solution is that David had more than 30 men, and only 30 fought for him at a given time, okay? And that's a possibility because if you think of somebody like Uriah, Uriah was somebody who died very early in David's reign, okay? Uh, when he had uh, Uriah put to the front of the battle line and killed intentionally, uh, David fought and, and had many other uh, different things happen in his life after that point. And so you can see that all of these men didn't survive to the end of David's reign. Some of them died early, like Uriah or Asahel, the one who chased Abner and died in the process. So that's one solution. Second solution is that uh, maybe David's 30s, 30 men was just an approximation and not meant to be an exact number. And I think it could go either way with this. The text doesn't tell us, but there are just two ways. So if somebody says, well, why is this? Is this some sort of error in the Bible? No, I don't think you have to take it that way. In fact, if you go to 1 Chronicles, you'll see that this list is actually even greater than 37. There's a parallel list that goes all the way up to 52. So, um, you know, whichever of these works, I'm not sure that I'm settled on either one, but, uh, you know, one of those is, is probably the solution. So, those are the two big questions that I had when I read this. And now we've kind of given an introduction to this list. Let's look at the men in detail and see what we can learn from each of these as we find this very interesting list of David's mighty men, David's avengers, okay? Now, as you read this passage, you'll notice that it says something about the 30. Again, that could be just a general number for a large number of fighters. But then also, there is this mention of the three, where it says, this man was great, and he did some mighty things, but he didn't attain to the three. So who are those three? Well, they're the first people that are mentioned here in this list. And uh, we're just going to get the hardest one to pronounce out of the way, because he is listed first. He is the cream of the crop. He is not only the best of the 30, but he is the best of the three. His name is Joshua Bashabeth, a Tachyamite, described in verse 8. And he's also called Jashabim the Hakamite, or Ishbael the Hakamite, if you go to 1 Chronicles 11.11. It's the same man. Uh, he's given a slightly different twist on his name in each of those lists, but it, we're meant to see this is the same person. And uh, verse 8 says that he was chief of the three. Chief of the three. Uh, this passage refers to 30 mighty men. And again, that might just be a rounded number, but then on top of that, this guy is the top of the three that are listed. He is the best of the best. Um, he is the best warrior of them all, and in likelihood, he would have reported directly to David. 
Why is this? Well, it tells us. Uh, these are the names, verse 8, of the mighty men whom David had. Joshua Bashabeth, a Tachyamite, he was chief of the three. He wielded a spear against 800 whom he killed at a time. Now, that's pretty amazing if, if you think about what's being described here. Um, he was taking a stand. He was taking a stand against the Philistines, and uh, he killed 800 at a time. It's not an exaggeration. That's not fiction. That's literally what this man did. So when you see all these epic battle scenes on all these movies today, and, and these heroes who are just taking on person after person, there was a real guy who did this. And he killed, he killed 800 of them, one after the other. There's one other person in scripture that immediately came to mind when I read that, so that this man isn't alone in his great conquest. If you think of Samson in the book of Judges. Judges 15 says, when he came to, the, to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire, and his bonds melted out of his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of the donkey, and put his hand and took it, and he struck 1,000 men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down 1,000 men. So this individual we're talking about, with a big name, chief of the 30, chief of the three, he is as powerful, almost, as Samson. Had a military a conquest, a battle like this, as almost as dramatic as Samson. Second, we have Eleazar, the son of Dodo, and he's, uh, you know, I just feel bad for the guy named Dodo. That's just a terrible, the name, I don't hear many of the uh, Dodos these days. That's still available if you're going to have a, a son. There you go, Dodo. Uh, you, you have my full permission to use that one. Uh, so here's, here it is, uh, Eleazar, what does he do? Uh, he was with David when they defied the Philistine who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought a great victory that day, and the men returned after only to strip, uh, I'm sorry, returned after him only to strip the slain. So why is this man considered one of David's three best men? And the answer is he stood his ground when everybody else fled. It says the men of Israel withdrew, but he stayed where he was. And while the text doesn't tell us how many he killed, we get the sense that this man took on a large number of Philistines himself and killed them all single-handedly. If you have an NIV, you'll see it translates um, verse 10 a little bit differently. So in the ESV, which I just read for you, it says he rose and struck down the Philistines. Uh, I should say in that second one, the NIV, not ESV. NIV says he stood his ground and struck down the Pharisees. And I think that is in keeping with the whole theme here. Because as we read about these three mighty men, the common denominator among them all is that they had courage and they stood their ground when everybody else left. And it tells us that the only after he was done did the people come back to take all of the, the possessions of those who had been slain. All right? So that brings us to um, this point that's mentioned here in this case. It was the Lord that brought about this victory. Okay? He was the one who 
ultimately brought victory for these men. Even though it says he stood his ground, he did this amazing thing, this theme rings throughout this entire passage, that without the Lord's help, none of this would have happened. It was the Lord who brought victory. Moving on to the third person, Shammah, the son of Agi the Herorite. It says he fought the Philistines. Verses 11 and 12 say this. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines. But he took a stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great victory. I like how um, Robert Bergen puts it in the New American Commentary. Listen to this and the quote's up on the screen. It says, Shammah's willingness to die for the sake of the land may properly be understood as a defense of the Israelite faith. According to the law of Moses, the Lord owned the promised land. And see Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 32. And the Israelites were its tenants and caretakers. Thus, to defend the land was to take a stand on behalf of the Lord. Through his valor, Shammah was expressing a deep level of faith in Torah promises regarding Israel's right to the land. And so I think that's a good way to look at this, that this was an expression of this man's faith. He believed that God's promises were true, and he believed that the opposition that he faced in the, from the hand of the Philistines was in opposition to God himself. And so he, he was willing to defend God's honor and God's promises, very much like David, who stood up to Goliath when Goliath challenged the Israelites and defied the name of God. So let's look at the three mightiest Avengers, as it were, or the three mighty men. After we've gotten the summary of all three individually, it tells us a little bit about what they did together before it moves on to these other individuals in the scriptures. And we see this in verses 13 through 17. This is what it says. And three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped at the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. <coughs> Excuse me. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it for me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now, if you've ever read that section before, and if you're like me, I don't know if you've had this reaction, but every time I read that, that bothers me. I'm like, man, these guys went and risked their lives, and they traveled, I think it's about 12 miles is what I read, to get this water, and then David gets it, and he pours it out to the ground. If I was one of those three guys, I think I would have been a little upset. Like, Come on, I just, I risked my life to get this to you. You said you wanted it. And now you're pouring it out the ground? I don't know. I'm probably having the wrong, in fact, I know I'm having the wrong uh, estimation of this. Because I think what David is doing, really, after I thought about it and, you know, gave it some consideration, I think what David is doing is really honorable here. Number one, I don't think he actually intended for them to go in and do this. He might have said it out loud and maybe regretted saying it out loud. But what's being shown here, really, is David's concern for the men under his care. We could say that, first of all, 
these men show a great deal of devotion for David. What we're seeing here, even though it's frustrating to me, I think is meant to be something positive. It, it's, it's saying, number one, these men love him that much that they were willing to risk their lives to get him this water that he desired. That shows that David's men were devoted to him, just further backing up the character that's being praised here. But number two, when David realizes what they have done, it shows that he is not willing to take life lightly. And that's something we see throughout the life of, of David. There are other times where uh, David kept life as an important thing. Uh, he, he had times where he could have killed Saul, but he didn't. When he was on the run from Saul, he had uh, multiple opportunities, really, where he could have thrust him through with a spear or cut him to pieces with a sword, but he didn't. And then when Saul died, there was a man who ran to David and, and thought he was bringing David good news and even falsely claimed that he was the one who killed Saul, expecting to get a reward. But David put him to death because he said, how dare you raise up your hand against the Lord's anointed. And there were other instances of this very same thing where you see David valued life. Um, even if we go back to the, the last time I was up here preaching to you uh, about David and Shimei, again, there was a, a guard of David's that said, let's cut off his head. Let's just not put up with this fact of him throwing rocks at you and cursing you. But David said, no, don't do it. He wasn't wanting to be associated with the sons of Zeruliah, with Joab and Abishai and Asahel, all those men who were very vengeful, wanted to take revenge and take it into their own hands. He valued life. And I think if we apply that same principle back here to this episode of the water, David's saying the same thing. This is very kind of you. It's wonderful that you did this, but you men matter to me more than this water. And I think it would have taught them something going forward that this is not that important, that your lives are more important to me. And so in that sense, David is to be praised. David's to be praised. But again, in summary, they were committed to him, and he was committed to them. Let's keep going through these men in detail. We have these other warriors now, right? We, we covered the top three. Now we're going to get into some of the lesser warriors, but they're still renowned as uh, mighty uh, people in battle. So... Abishai is the next one we see. He's the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruliah. And then we see him in verses 18 and 19. It says this. Um, now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruliah, was chief of the 30. And he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander. But he did not attain to the three. Still, that's... No small feat, right? Killing 300 men all by yourself. Uh, still a mighty man in battle. And uh, that's who this Abishai was. And so there are also many other acts. This is one of those people we said who is described elsewhere in Scripture. And you don't have to turn to all these passages. I'll just summarize them for you. Number one, he accompanied David on a stealthy expedition into Saul's camp when David was on the run from Saul. Uh, if we look at uh, chapter 10 of 1 Samuel... He commanded most of David's forces in a battle against the Ammonites. He led one-third of David's troops against Absalom's rebels in chapter 18. He was given command of David's troops in stopping Sheba's revolt. That's chapter 20. And finally, he's given credit with killing 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. <clears throat> now, that last figure might include the men under his command. Okay, when it says 18,000, 
But still, you can tell this was a mighty warrior from all of these texts. This text tells us that he's the brother of Joab. So we know that this is the same Abishai that we talked about, again, a few weeks ago. Uh, but Shimei cursed and threw rocks at King David. And unfortunately, despite all of these wonderful things he did, he is also shown to be somebody who is very vengeful. Because he's the one who says, just kill him, cut off his head, get rid of him. And uh, so we can see that he was a little bit too zealous for that cause. But no nonetheless, he's still listed here. He, though he had flaws, he's listed among these mighty men. Benaiah is the next, number five, the son of Jehoiada. And as I'm going over these, by the way, I'm not going to, you're thinking, uh, we're only at number five. Don't worry, we're not going through all 37. Once we get to a certain point, there's nothing really told among the vast majority of these men. We're just going to cover the ones that have something said about them, and then we'll do some summary work here. So we're actually almost through this list. I have a five and a six left, and then we'll get into some application here. So fear not. We will not be here until next week. But here we go. Uh, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, verses 20 through 23, this is what it says about him. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kazbiel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab, and he also went down and struck a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen, and he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. Now, again, let's see. For whatever reason, it's just the translation choices here in the ESV in this particular passage that um, I'm not the biggest fan of. And again, comparing it to some other translations might help us figure this out. Number one, where it says aerials, that's not very helpful. When it says he killed two, two of them, what does that mean? Uh, it's, it's thought to either mean two uh, sons of a man named Ariel or just two mighty warriors. So whoever these individuals were, they were formidable foes that he killed. And then the other thing where it says uh, a handsome man, uh, that's not very helpful either. You know, it's not like the handsome man was the, necessarily the strongest or something. But there are other verses, other, I'm sorry, other translations that say instead of handsome, uh, the NAS says impressive. Or the NIV says a huge man. Okay, that gives us a little bit more context. He's not holding up a mirror saying, yeah, I'm a handsome man. Uh, he's, he's strong, okay, he's somebody who you wouldn't want to fight. Uh, that, that gives us a little more context there. So, uh, a few things we know about him. <clears throat> Here we go. Oh, I, I missed this part. Uh, the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down uh, with him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name beside the three mighty men. And he was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three and David set him over his bodyguard. Okay? Now, we've gotten through all of that. Uh, there's some similarities here. Reasons I think maybe David had a special place for this man. Number one, he struck down a lion. Okay? And that's a lot like David's uh, instance where he struck down a lion, uh, and, and that's similar there. But we also see that he killed this formidable foe when it talks about the Egyptian. We don't know much about who the, this Egyptian man was, uh, according to the rest of the scriptures, we don't know of a, a case where the nation of Egypt fought Israel under David's reign. So it could be that this was somebody who was conscripted by the Philistines or joined some other army that David fought and, or perhaps was fighting on his own. In any case, I see a similarity between this man and Goliath. Again, he's not just a handsome man, but he's a formidable individual. He's huge. He's impressive. He's strong. And it says he, he took his spear out of his hand and killed him with his own spear, which is pretty uh, amazing. Um, 
I don't know how much to make of that, but just two very interesting points of commonality between Benea and David. Last one that's described here is Asahel, the brother of Joab, verse 24. In actuality, nothing's really said about him here, but we mention him since he is somebody that we know from another part of Scripture. So if we look at 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, here's a passage that talks about him. It says, And the three sons of Zeruiah were Joab, Abishai, and Asiel. And now Asiel was swift as a foot as a wild gazelle, and Asiel pursued Abner as he went and turned neither to the right hand or the left in following Abner. And then Abner looked behind him and said, Is it you, Asahel? And he said, he answered, It is I. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or your left, and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should, you, why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out of his back, and he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asiel had fallen and died stood still. So he had this tragic death, and yet he's regarded as a fierce warrior, and one of the fastest as well. So here's the real question. Okay, all that was very interesting, right? And that's about all I knew going into it. This is a very interesting passage. These men did amazing things. These are real-life warriors, people who, in the midst of battle, being surrounded by hundreds, killed them all on their own. And like we said of the three mighty men, they stood out because when everybody else fled, they stood their ground, even to the point where it says the one guy's hand got super weak, and he just clung to it almost as if he had a cramp in his hand and just clung with all of his might to his sword and fought to the very last man on account of God's name to stand up for David's cause. For God's covenant, what do we do with all this? Aside from it just being neat, what do, we, what do we do with this section? Well, a few applications come to mind. The section is devoted to warriors, okay? And the text is presented to us in a positive way. These are men we are supposed to renown. Um, that's how the Bible presents it to us. Therefore, I would say this. When God sanctions the battles... Those who fought well for God's cause are to be praised. When God sanctioned the battles, those in the scriptures who fought well for God's cause are to be praised. So a few points to clarify that. Number one, it's important that we say when God sanctioned the battles. Because we're not called to go to war with God's enemies today. That's important. Because if I picked up a spear... Okay, if I left here, picked up a spear, and random, randomly just started taking hundreds of people out, that would be evil, not praiseworthy. Okay, I hope you understand that. Why? Why, though? Because God hadn't given me a command to do so. And God has not called any of us to do that in a way that was true in Israelite times, in this particular time, in this particular passage. But certain men in the past were called to such battles, and that's why I say the key to them being praiseworthy is that they fought for God's cause and that God had sanctioned them to do so. And in fact, just to back this up, we see that many times in Scripture there are those individuals who are praised by God for their deeds and courage in battle. And we can go even to the New Testament. You're thinking, oh, the Old Testament and 
But let's go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 32, 34, and I have this highlighted for you. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. So these men in 2 Samuel 23 showed their faith through their courage and strength in battle. And that leads me to my second application. That courage is a praiseworthy trait that, to be honest, we don't talk about enough, I don't think, from a biblical standpoint. But nevertheless, it's celebrated and it's valued in the scriptures. If you think of Joshua 1 and 1, 6, what is God say to Joshua, twice actually, I've only put it up once for you, but he says, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, for you will cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. And if we think back to the first three men that were listed for us, those three men had courage in standing their ground when nobody else would. They followed the example of their master, David, who stood his ground against somebody like Goliath who stood his ground against a lion and a bear, who was courageous, who wasn't afraid. And you know, we are called to be courageous, men especially, I would say. We must not be scared to do what is right. And so courage is a very real character trait that I think is praiseworthy in the scriptures and it's something that we are called to as well. And it's no, no uh, accident, I think, that these are all men listed here. Men, I think we are called to be courageous as well in a very unique way. Um, Peter, if you think about Peter, when he withdrew from e eating with the Gentiles for fear of what the Jewish leaders would think, he was not being courageous. Rather, he was living in fear of what other men thought. So we're not to be that way. We are called to be of courage. We may not be called to be courageous in war for God, but we are called to be courageous in witnessing for Christ, in standing for the things that matter. And if you think about Philippians 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, it says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. We're not called to be cowards. And that's not, you know, to say that we're supposed to be some sort of macho men and nothing ever bothers us and all that kind of stuff, but there is a very real biblical place for courage that we're called to be. We're, we're not supposed to be scared men and always running away from, from any kind of chance to take a stand for Christ. That's just the fact of it. You know, but this is not only a thing that's celebrated in men. It's celebrated in women, too. If we go to Judges chapter 4, we think of the example of Deborah. Deborah is an example of courage that's praiseworthy. And again, this isn't just something for men. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people 
of Naphtali and from the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishbon. Nope, jumped ahead, sorry about that. To the, the river Kishbon with his chariots and troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kedesh. Okay, so there's an example of a woman who showed incredible courage. But Jael is another individual in the scriptures, a woman who showed courage as well. I'm not going to put this up on the screen, but if you go to Judges chapter 4, verse 21, she is the one who had the opportunity to kill the evil king Sisera, the military commander of Canaan. And while he was sleeping in her tent, he was running away from Israel's army and went to sleep in her tent. She gave him milk so that he would go to sleep. And once he was asleep, she had the courage to, and this is graphic, I apologize, but in the Bible, she took a tent peg right through his head and he died there on the spot. And that is something she is praised for. There's a song written about her right after that event happens. So she is somebody who is courageous, courageous enough to do something that otherwise might have scared somebody else to do. Courage is praiseworthy in multiple instances in the scripture. So we have examples here of men who are worthy warriors, of courage. We have another application here to draw out. And this is a, a caution in the midst of all these other applications. That is, not everyone who is a warrior was worthy of praise. So we're saying all these great things about these warriors of the Bible, right? But I don't want you to think that just because they killed people, or just because they were mighty in battle, that therefore that's what makes them praiseworthy. It's not. Because we have individuals who are not mentioned in this list. And specifically, we said at the beginning, Joab is the one that comes to mind. He is not mentioned, and I think that's intentional. If you think of all the wicked things that Joab did, Joab uh, took revenge against Abner. Joab defected at one point in his life. Joab killed and assassinated people. He was a vengeful person to such a degree that he is not included in this list, even though you could go on and on about his military achievements and everything that he did for David. He is not praiseworthy. Just because he was a man of battle doesn't necessarily make him somebody worthy of this list. You think of Peter as well. Uh, Peter uh, wanted to go to Jesus' defense. And if we're thinking, oh, if he's a warrior, then therefore he must be included in this praiseworthy group of people. No, not, not necessarily. Um, John 18.10 tells us about it. It says, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. And that servant's name was Malchus. But yet, Jesus tells him, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And he said, for all who take the sword will die by the sword. That's found in Matthew 26. So just by being somebody who is a man of war doesn't make you praiseworthy in and of itself. It matters about your character. It matters about what you're fighting for. It matters about your heart. So that's a helpful corrective here as well. Final thing I want to say is that God is the one, in all of these cases, who brought the victory. We see that again in 2 Samuel 23.10. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. That's the key to all of this. So in all these cases, we see that there are men who are very strong. They achieved many dramatic victories. 
Nevertheless, we're reminded in this passage that unlike some superhero on the big screen that we might uh, see today, the power doesn't come from us. Victory can only be achieved by God's power. That's our summary of tonight's passage on David's mighty men, David's avengers, you might say, David's mighty warriors. These are individuals we should remember as being courageous in battle, strong for God's cause, and devoted to God's anointed king. So our exhortation tonight is for us to be courageous, not necessarily in battle, but for the cause of Christ, not with a sword or spear, but courageous like the apostle Paul, willing to share the good news of Jesus with whomever we come in contact with, no matter what other people might say. It's not given to fear in those cases. May we have the courage to suffer for Christ's namesake. And may we take a stand for what is right, even when no one else will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this list, we're astonished. We're amazed at what some of these men actually did in history. Uh, We admire their courage, their devotion to their king, and their faith. And Lord, you're not calling us to go to a literal battle with um, people who might not believe in you, God, but you are calling us to be courageous in sharing our faith, calling us to be courageous in being willing to suffer for what is right, calling us to be courageous for the cause of Christ. God, may we be men and women of courage. God, help us to have that. And remember, if we are ever victorious in such matters, that ultimately that victory comes from you and not from within ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.